separate charters towers, a Christian outreach centre, you are all very, very welcome, and I trust you feel very much at home. I pray this word of God that comes uh, to you tonight and comes to us tonight, and as the Spirit of God opens up the word, the Spirit of the Lord has to be upon the word of God to make it real, amen? If I just ministered the word of God without the Spirit of God, it's, uh, you don't, you're not having the author present. But when the Spirit of God is upon the Word of God, it has a capacity or an ability to be able to minister to your deepest needs. And that's the role of the Spirit of God. I cannot do that. And it says, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. So we bring our best and pray that the Spirit of God be upon that Word and it will meet every need for you today. Uh, tonight I would like to talk about a really, really unpopular subject. If I was going to build a church of great numbers... I wouldn't preach this subject at all. But we're not here to build numbers. The Bible says that God is building his church and we're here to make disciples. But uh, in fact, the popular message, the grace message in the last 10 to 15 years would have no place had it not been for this really, really unpopular subject. Who's ready for an unpopular subject here tonight? <laughs> church is sometimes not the most comfortable place to be, amen? And so sometimes we're called to go to a place where God wants to build us and God wants to grow us. I pray that you brought your Bibles. I've got some spares up here. If you'd like a Bible, go and grab one and you can follow with me with it. So, but the Bible speaks not of bad habits. It doesn't speak. I've never seen the one word in there about bad habits. It doesn't speak about misdemeanors. It doesn't speak about habits. It doesn't talk about obsessions or vices. But it broadly uses this three-letter just a little tiny word which has grave consequences should we ignore it. And we often shudder and become indignant if we ever hear it preached. Amen? When we hear this word, we go, oh. And, uh, and, that cr and the cry is fire and brimstone, which let's be honest, fire and brimstone hasn't been preached in the church for 200 years. So who, do we, who are we kidding? Hasn't been preached for 200 years. But this tiny word, which has enormous consequences for the here and now and as well as into the eternity is of course what the Bible, the Word of God calls sin. Who likes that? Bring it on, Jeff. Amen? We're going to talk a little bit about sin. But there is a great, a great thing, a theme to sin and it's wrapped around that beautiful song that we sang and it was creating me a clean heart of God. What a beautiful prayer. When you've been found out, when you've been caught out, when you're in the depths and far away from God, this thing called sin separates us. But the cry is still the same as it was three and a half thousand years ago before God with honesty and integrity before God, creating me a clean heart, O oh God. I'd like if you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. There's no better place to go in regard to that cry than Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was penned or quilled, you might say, in consequences to the goings-on in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. But while you're on Psalm 51, I'm going to flick back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. You can do so if you'd like. And so we see in 2 Samuel chapter 11, of course we're talking about David here tonight. Who can identify with David? The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. We know that David wasn't perfect, which makes the gospel, which makes this Bible, warts and all, a real-life situation. If you feel like you're a bit of a warts and all person, 
The gospel is for you. I'm a warts and all person because I'm not perfect. My family will tell you that very, very quickly. And But here we are in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we see it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab. He sent Joab to do a job that he should have been doing himself. David was a king, he was a general, and he was always led from the front. But on this occasion, he held back and stayed back at home in the comfort of his home. And so we see in the chapters that King David, he at this time, in this period of his life, he is riding the crest of the wave of success. That's what he was doing. He had it all going amazingly well. God made a covenant with David, and because he had it in his heart to build God a, ha- a house or a temple, God says, no, you're not going to build me a house, but because you had it in your heart to build me a house, he said, rest assured, I'm going to build you a house. And so not only was God uh, Dave made David prosperous, he made him a king, he'd been in, in, in the kingdom for Hebron for seven and a half years, but now he's down in the Jebusite city called Jerusalem. And there he was, king there. God made a covenant with him. Amazing, eh? God made a covenant with this king. He thought God only made covenants with the people like Abraham. And he says, here I am. You've made a covenant with me in my house. He's amassing resources. And he knew God had revealed to him that he was not to build the house of God, but he was to make provision so that one of his sons, he didn't even know, he wasn't even born yet, beginning to make provision for the house yet to be built. And so he prepared resources, stone, timber, manpower, and infrastructure to make the preparation for the temple to be built. This is King David. And so he was riding the wave of success in every way that you could measure it. He had political and local opponents had become subdued to him as the king of the united land of Israel. Neighboring countries no longer even a threat and not only defeated, but they were now paying tribute to David. So the the king's coffers were beginning to fill up really, really quickly. And uh, in addition to that, he's now beginning to accrue wives like his own son Solomon, yet to be born, would accrue horses. And so he began, uh, I think David ended up having about 700 wives. I've got jewels, that's more than enough. I love jewels. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Who'd want 700 wives when you got the best, amen? But he's now, and he's in, and he built a beautiful palace for himself. And uh, Hiram, king of Tyre, came with uh, the stone and all the workmanship and all the know-how. His kingship and his kingdom was being propelled onto and into success. And David was now rocking back in his throne and saying, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Who's ever thought that? When you're writing a really, I've been sometimes so amazingly successful in certain things, and I'm thinking, what could possibly go wrong, Jeff? You are doing well. Who's ever thought that? Who knows that humility is not far from you (laughs) when you're in that position? I've experienced that as well. What could plus? But David didn't go to war, as was the king, uh, the custom of kings in the spring. It was the best time of year to go to war was in the spring. And he found himself with too much time on his hands. Who knows when you've got too much time on your hands, things can go wrong pretty quick. Idle hands. What the, what's one of those household proverbs? Idle hands? I forget one of those things. But uh, 
And he was on that roof one day in the afternoon, sunning himself, looking around, and he saw a beautiful woman bathing on the rooftop. Now, I don't know why she was bathing on the rooftop, okay? Uh, there's certain things that the Bible doesn't share everything. And, uh, and on a neighboring property, there's this beautiful woman bathing on, bathing on the rooftop. And so to paraphrase, paraphrase uh, that chapter there, uh, he saw that woman and uh, her husband was away. His name was uh, Uriah the Hittite. And he was one of uh, David's great generals. He's mentioned in David's mighty men. He was one of the 30 or something like that. And uh, her husband was away and she's bathing uh, on the rooftop and uh, the king sends for her. The long story short, short is uh, that she conceived and had a child. And uh, things uh, uh, started to go very pear-shaped for David at this time. It wasn't as simple as he thought. Who knows that the way of sin is not simple? The way of sin is a complicated life. When you have a look at Deuteronomy 28, when you walk with God, there's 14 verses of blessing. But if you walk in sin, there's 54 verses of curses. It's called the complicated life of the sinner. And there's no blessing attached to it. And so we so, so uh, uh, Bathsheba conceived. And what, what could David do with her husband? Only to send him to the front line and orchestrated his death. And so it was a terrible thing. Here is David, the man after God's own heart. He's uh, uh, involved himself in adultery. He's involved himself in conspiring to have a man killed and covering up the whole thing. And, uh, and then uh, Uriah died in battle. So he then took uh, Bathsheba was her name and took her for his own wife. The child dies after the child was born. The child died. It wasn't a blessing to him. And in chapter 12, uh, and so that a whole year had passed and David's sin is concealed. Who knows you cannot seal or conceal sin indefinitely. And there's nothing that will make you as a Christian, as a believer, as a person who loves God, you will find it difficult to walk with God if you indulge in sin. It's a terrible thing. Little sin, no such thing. That's what I've heard. Little sin, no such thing. And, uh, it, it, and so we see that God sends the prophet Nathan to confront the sin as David was not coming to his senses. In other words, the Lord relented for well over 12 months. His sin was, was not confronted. And so um, Nathan said the Lord also has, when he confronted him with his sin, and Nathan said something to him very extraordinary in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. These scriptures are well worth writing down. The Lord also has put away your sin. The Lord revealed to him through the prophet Nathan that God was very, very displeased with how uh, David was now conducting, conducting his personal life. And the thing with a king is the consequences of sin are not just for a king, but they are also for the kingdom. People of influence cause the consequences of their actions and their deeds, like our political leaders today, the consequences of our political leaders and the consequences, we wear those consequences, don't we? And so it was uh, with David. So why did God confront David? Why didn't he just let the consequences of his own sin just drive him into the ground? And uh, sometimes God is like that with us. 
He will uh, contend. He will work with us. He will prod and probe. We're given a conscience. We're giving a witness of the Holy Spirit. And somehow we lose our peace when we're no longer in the will of God. Who's ever done that? No. And perhaps you haven't bought a property because you lost your peace. One of the greatest hallmarks or measures of being in the will of God is that you will have a peace about something if it's in the will of God. When you lose your peace, it's sometimes good to reflect on your motives, the reason we do things, the, we have we considered the repercussions of these things, and you will lose your peace. No doubt, I don't know, two things could have happened here. Either David's conscience was being seared as with a hot iron, as you will see that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, I think it is, having a form of God and and godliness or uh, uh, having a knowledge of God but not walking with God, amen? And so having their conscience seared as with a hot iron or the weight of his own sin was crushing the life out of him. Two of those things, two of those options. Either way, God wanted him to be restored to right fellowship with him. If you're in sin, and often we can be in sin, little sin, no such thing, big sins, little sins, it's all sin, and uh, but the Lord wants to have us restored fellowship. He doesn't want to beat you over the head with a stick, but he wants you to come clean so that fellowship can be restored. Sin breaks fellowship with God. That's what it does. Sin breaks fellowship with God. That intimacy that you may have experienced in times gone past and you're no longer enjoying, you need to reflect, we need to reflect on our lives and see what is the blockage here. And uh, I call it sometimes spiritual constipation. Amen. Not a good thing. Not a good thing to have. And so Proverbs 1.32 says, For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. In other words, the consequences of sin are very, very heavy to bear. And God is a loving God, and he wants to save us the pain of, uh, uh, of being destroyed because of the consequences of our own sin. The Holy Spirit was given to us to keep us on track. Amen? And when we have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, he will, he will gently uh, curve us around. The shepherd uh, leads, doesn't he? And, he? and he puts his hook around us and curves us around to bring us back into the fold. Have you ever felt the Lord bring you back into the right path, having strayed a little left or to the right? God goes to great lengths for us to return him to return to him or to be restored to him. Deuteronomy 33, 26 is an amazing scripture. I have shared it here once or twice before. And it says there, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you. And in his excellence, excellency on the clouds, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. We see that in this verse that God crosses the heavens to help you to make a way for us. <clears throat> and so we see then also repentance is the first step to a fully reestablished relationship. When John the Baptist, after 400 years, broke the silence, remember that? 400 years of silence. Oh, there's the phone. I'll have to turn that off. Could everybody please put their phone on silence? 
So he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, didn't he? That's what John the Baptist said. At the closing of his ministry and Jesus opened up his ministry, the first thing that Jesus said in his, in his, uh, in his uh, ministry, in his preaching, was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so the uh, reestablishment of relationship with God is repent. Okay? And repentance is a good thing. Repentance will get you saved and repentance keeps you saved. It keeps you in a right and humble place with God. And so we see uh, in Psalm 51, I'm going to go to Psalm 51 now. And it says, have mercy. And you see, and the Lord said that he would forgive him of his sin. Nathan told him. And so we see and read in other places that was the kindness of God that led David to repentance. It was the kindness of God that led you to repentance. And he can harden or soften anybody's heart. He says, unless the Spirit draws us, no man can come to the Father. And so I'm going to whisk through these verses. So this is King David. This is repentant King David. He'd been found out by, and exposed by God through the prophet a year or more after his sin. So he must have been either horribly miserable or he must have been horribly callous. My guess is that he was horribly miserable for that entire period of time. He'd lost his peace with God. He'd lost his deep, intimate fellowship with God, which he had known all his life since he's been a shepherd boy out underneath the stars. And so he said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. And so he wasn't asking for justice. He was asking for mercy. When, you, when you've done terrible things, you don't want justice. We always want justice from our enemies, but when, when confronted by sin with God, we don't want justice, we want mercy. And so when we pray for others, we actually should be praying also for mercy for them. Okay? We say, we, we want justice, Lord God. But no, the Lord says, well, you wanted mercy from me. What about extending mercy to them? Isn't that the heart of God? That is the heart of God. It's hard for us to get around because we hold grudges tighter than anything else. According to, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Now, have a look at this. Blot out my transgressions. One, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Two, and cleanse me from my sin. Number three. And so you have here a whole catalogue of descriptions of this three-letter word called sin. And they're all slightly different because it's saying that there is different types of sin. And God in his word in numerous places, puts them in these three distinct categories. Transgression, iniquity, and sin. But broadly speaking, we just call them all sin. Isaiah 43, 24, But you have burdened me with your sins, says God. You have wearied me with your iniquities. The following verse, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. So there's your three descriptions there, just in that verse alone. For my own sake, and I will remember your, your, I will not remember your sins. Verse 26, put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. You see, God wants to restore fellowship. He wants you in the courtroom of heaven to be acquitted of all wrongdoing. All wrongdoing. How do we do that? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. In the courtroom of heaven, God wants you to come through. He wants to be your advocate, the one who stands in the gap and uh, stands for you. Uh, Exodus 34, 7, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. There you go. 
and pardon our iniquity and our sin. Another three descriptions, but there is numerous places. Transgressions means breaking trust, a betrayal of relationship. Jesus experienced all these things from his own disciples, a breaking of trust. Why is God hate a people breaking covenant? Because it is a breaking of a trust. Transgression is a breaking of our trust. When we break covenant with God and go after flirtatious things that grieves the heart of God and grieves the Holy Spirit, we are transgressions. We are going beyond acceptable boundaries, beyond established limits. And so key words also, rebellion and trespass. But we are asked, forgive us all of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's in the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> Iniquity refers to behavior uh, that is crooked. Sin literally means missing the mark or taking the wrong course. A yielding to a twisted or a sinful nature. Before we came to Christ, we all, all had a, a base nature that was uh, at enmity was at, with God. It was at war with God. Transgressions, breaking trust, betrayal of relationship... A broken treaty between nations is also that same transgression. And that's what David experienced when the blessing of God lifted off the people of Israel. He sought the Lord and he says, why has the blessing of the Lord lifted off? He says, because you have broken trust or broken treaty with the Gibeonites. Remember those lying, thieving Gibeonites who dressed up like they'd come from a faraway land and they were the neighbouring tribe uh, two, two hills away. And even though they were lying and even though they were deceiving, uh, uh, Joshua had made a treaty with them. Remember that? Joshua made a treaty. And so the hand of blessing lifted off them because they transgressed the covenant or the treaty. And so this, the dangers of sin unchecked. And so what dirt is to the body, so sin is to the inner man. And we become defiled in the garden by the dirt. We defi become defiled within by sin. And you can have no peace with God, right relationship. Sometimes we love the... People talk about having an intimacy with God and are unable to do so. But entertaining God and entertaining sin in the same conversation is impossible to have intimacy with God. Because God is a holy God and he's made a way for us to approach him through the blood of his son. And uh, there was this guy, Augustine of Hippo, and he says, The habit of sin blinds sinners so that they no longer see the evil which they do. That's what's called in Romans chapter 1 as having your conscience seared as with a hot iron. And the, the peril of sin, uh, Deuteronomy speaks it in uh, when, they, uh, when Jonathan Edwards preached that uh, great uh, message, sermon, 200 years ago, sinners in the hands of an angry God, he referred to the scripture in Deuteronomy saying, their foot shall slip in due time. And that's what sin is like. And so God restoring relationship by sending the prophet Nathan to confront David of his sin, which was more than a year old. So he wasn't coming good. And so God did David a great favor by sending the prophet to challenge him where he was. If somebody challenges you on something in your lifestyle, you have to allow people to be able to speak to you at times like that. 
You cannot always walk off in a huff. Who are you to speak to me about? No, if a brother in the Lord, it says, a brother who will come to you is a brother in the Lord who is closer than a natural brother will do you a great favor by speaking the truth to you. Challenging though might be for something in your lifestyle that you know offends God. Amen? And so God will use somebody like that. And so they no longer see the evil which they do, nor the ruin which they bring upon themselves. Hence they live in blindness, as, it, as it, if there was neither God, nor heaven, nor hell, nor eternity. Sin is like that. And even believers can have their conscience seared if they continue, they, they touch on sin. But what happens is it's a spiraling lifestyle. Things that you now do, which 10 years ago you would never have entertained, because it's spiral. sin has a way of somehow creeping up on us. Amen? It's not good. It's not good. Another guy there said there's three effects of bad habit. One, it blinds the understanding. Sin will cloud over your reasoning. And you begin to want to justify your actions. And it comes incrementally. It doesn't come all at once. It's step by step by step in a downward spiral lifestyle. It hardens the heart. The Bible says the heart, the heart above all things is most deceitful. The heart above all things is most deceitful. All your Hollywood movies and everything like that, they all say, oh, follow your heart, follow your heart. All those tear-jerking movies and all those sort of things, isn't it? When they've got horses and everything in them and this and that. And follow your heart, you know, you can trust you. The Bible says your heart above all things is most deceitful. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Who are you going to believe? I believe me Bible. Believe me Bible. It's still the test of time. And it diminishes our strength. One time you would have had a great uh, resilience uh, standing against sin. But when you give into it incrementally, it will take you down incrementally. Amen? And it diminishes your strength to stand against it more and more. And so Romans 1.20 there. So, but the solution, of course, of, uh, of action. And so the first word there is in Ezekiel 18.30. It says, repent. Turn from your transgressions so that your iniquities will not be your ruin. Repent saves your life from ruin. A straightforward lifestyle is a lifestyle that walks or flees from sin. Flee from sin, said James. Cast away all your transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit, for why should you die, O house of Israel? You see, a whole nation can be taken down the gurgler. Whole nations. It says, I'm just following the crowd because the whole nation is going down a perilous trial. So what shall we, uh, we do? The, cro uh, the, uh, the crowd cried. Remember that in the book of Acts. And there you see Peter on the day of Pentecost preaching a mighty message. This is Peter, pitiful Peter, only days before. Pitiful Peter, he ran and he de denied Jesus and all this, but now filled with the Holy Spirit, oh, he, he preached a mighty message full of boldness, parisia, boldness, and uh, with an anointing, that is the power or the dunamis power of God, rested upon that word and the bold preaching of Peter in the book of Acts, and 3,000 were saved. Glorious, isn't it? Just glorious. And, and, and he said, repent and turn away from your sins. That's what he said. But in contrast, on a side note there, it's interesting. On the day that Moses gave the law, 3,000 perished. 
But on the day of Pentecost, when the, when the, when the spirit of grace and truth was released, 3,000 was saved. And so we live in this New Testament period and the, uh, the dispensation of grace. It's a great period. Uh, it would have been a very hard sort of lifestyle to live by the law. But for thousands of years, that's exactly what they did. So isn't that interesting? 3,000 were saved uh, on that day. And so here we go. Uh, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In other words, in, in verse 5, David is acknowledging that his natural tendency was to lean towards sin. It's called our old nature. And when we were born again, we were given a new Christ-like nature. And uh, we then had the ability to stand against sin because the power of God and the Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit lived and ruled and reigned within us. And he says, "For I in verse 3, I'll just go back a touch. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before him. Acknowledging your own wrongdoing and you have made a turnaround, a 180 degree turn, an acknowledgement, not justifying your sin. Everybody can justify every little thing that we do. Everybody can do it. They can justify. There's always a reason. Always a reason. But not before the court of heaven. Not before God's court. And my sin is always before me. And he says, against you only have I sinned. Now I know that David sinned against Uriah the Hittite. He took his wife. But, but, but David also sinned gravely against Bathsheba. Why? Who could knock back an ancient king when when she was summoned to his court. Her life possibly could have been at peril. She was very, very in a very precarious situation and she was manipulated by, by the king. She would have had very few options. And, but David acknowledges it's not just the sin against humanity or to your fellow man, but ultimately is it sin against the laws of God. Amen? And so... Uh, and so he said, create in me a clean heart. We get to this good bit, isn't it? He said, wash me whiter than snow. And in inner words, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. And that's just not a little wipe over, but that is the ancient method of washing in the stream when you're beating your clothes over the rocks, smashing them and, all, and getting a big rub down like this. It's, it's not just a little gentle wash with Lux soap, okay? And, and David is saying, purge me from this sin. Beat me, clean me. And the Lord promised that he would make you as white as snow. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken away rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, there is this word called atonement. And really atonement is just a covering of sin. Just like covering of fig leaves, the covering of the, of the animal skins. It's a covering. It's the covering of the sin from the blood of bulls and goats. But there was only power in the blood of bulls and goats because they represented the blood that yet was to come in the blood of Jesus Christ. That was they, the blood of bulls and goats was a shadow of the blood of Jesus Christ, which would not just atone for sin. Atonement is an Old Testament word for just covering sin. But in the New Testament, our sins are removed as if they were not committed. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? our New Testament. And then he comes out with this. He says, create in me. Oh, this is good, isn't it? Create in me. In the beginning, God created. And God creates out of nothing. Amen? He creates some. And so David had nothing to offer him to get a clean heart. 
God had to create in him a new heart. God had to create in you and I. We hadn't, our heart was not renovated. Our heart wasn't restored. Our heart was ripped out, thrown on the ash heap, and God gave us a new heart. Isn't that the difference? God gave us a new heart, a brand new heart. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creation heart. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The old is gone. The new has come. You and I were given a new heart when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You don't want a renovated heart. You don't want our old heart. You get rid of the Lord when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He takes out that heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. It's a beautiful thing. Wonderful thing. And so this is what we want for our brothers and sisters and people who do not know the Lord. For them to know what it is like to have a heart after God. It is only a heart after God that has a capacity to love God. A natural man has a natural born disposition towards iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know these by heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Look at that word there. And you think it was my salvation. Who talks about my salvation? But the word there is your salvation. That's God imparts salvation to us. We receive his salvation. It's not our salvation. We call it my. I've often referred to, oh, it's my salvation. But it's not. Salvation is from God alone. He restores. He, he just gives you a new heart. And he saves. We just are recipients of this amazing thing called his grace. And uphold me by your generous spirit. I like this verse here as Jules comes to the keys, if she would. He said, blot out my iniquities. And David knew that a debt needed to be paid. Blot it out, he says. Paul said in Romans 3, 4, that the whole world is guilty before God. All of us, all of us, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For we all like sheep have gone astray. Amen. There is none righteous, no, not one. Oh, we're looking at David's life and we think, oh gosh, David, how could you have done that? But we're all the same. We're all the same. No different. No one here. I'm holding the mic, but I need the grace of God just as much or probably more than every single person here. I too need the grace of God. I need for the Lord to continually create in me this clean heart. Amen. It's the cry of your heart. If you're away from God, you know you're not having that intimate relationship that you possibly once enjoyed. Just say, Lord, just create in me something that I cannot do for myself. And it's that place of humility that God, a, contri- a broken and contrite heart, the Lord will not deny. That's true, isn't it? That's what he says. He will not deny. And so, and you think David here says, uh, thinking to himself, he knew his position with God. And sometimes we've, some people here and perhaps myself, having disqualified ourselves from ever being used by God again. Who's ever felt like that? I sure have. I sure have. I felt, Lord, I'm disqualified. Or I certainly feel that others have disqualified me. I certainly feel that. 
and have felt it even to this day. That's true. That's true. But I know that God qualifies and requalifies the disqualified. And, and it says here, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and this is in verse 13, and uphold me by your generous spirit. He says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. The man, what the world and the institutionalized church disqualifies, God restores and requalifies. If you've messed up real big and you're still messing up, God's not finished with you yet. God's not in the disqualifying business, He's in the requalifying business, and He'll do it again and again and again. The man after God's own heart was still the man after God's own heart after he sinned. He would have to live with the consequences of his sin, no doubt. And David did live with the consequences of his sin. And you and I often are living less than perfect lives before God because we are living with the consequences of past sins. That is true. We are forgiven, but the consequences sometimes are not removed. Does that make sense? It is. So sometimes our lives get a little complicated. Who makes them complicated? We cannot blame everybody else. It's we have to take accountability for our own sin. David had the revelation that God could use this bleak time and use him to minister to others, to teach transgressors God's ways and sinners could be converted to God. And so through this broken vessel called David, who I identify with so many times, he could be used to restore other broken vessels. In other words, other cracked pots. Are there any cracked pots here in the house today? Sometimes cracked pots are in a better position to fix other cracked pots. Amen. They say broken people break people. That is true. That is an ungenerated people. Ungenerate, unregenerated in God. You will continue to harm others because you've been harmed yourself. But once your life has been restored by God, oh, he loves to restore lives. That's heart, uh, a heart transplant. That's God's specialty. Amen. Not just heart surgery, but heart transplants. And he gives you a heart straight from the shelf of heaven. And then he uses somebody who's broken, somebody who's marginalized, somebody that everybody says are washed up, you're no good. You cannot possibly do any good thing for God because what a mess you've made of your life. And you say, I'm a crackpot. But I say that God, God is not going to waste it. He didn't waste this situation in David's life. And David knew it. And he said... Uh, that I, that sinners would be converted to God as I teach others that transgressions has removed their fellowship from God. So he was in a position now to help others. Your life experiences where you've actually gone wrong. The devil says you're washed up, you're no good, you cannot be used. But the devil says, stands back and he looks at you and he goes, I can use that. I can fill someone just like you with the spirit of God. I don't care what you look like. I can make you. And the, the Bible says when, when choosing Saul to be the first king, and he says he was turned, when the Spirit of God came upon Saul, that he turned him into another man. And when you and I come to the Spirit, one come to God, he turns us into another man. He turns us into another woman. And we're made now in the image and likeness of God. It's a beautiful story, isn't it, of redemption? The whole story of redemption throughout this whole psalm is just so beautiful because it paints a real picture 
of a real person, it's more like us than most of us would care to admit. Perhaps you haven't killed someone. Perhaps you haven't uh, taken somebody else's wife. Perhaps you have. But it just shows you what lengths that God goes to to restore people like you. I'm pretty well much done. Who liked that message? It's a beautiful message, isn't it? The message of redemption of a person like David. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet just for a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for everybody listening in online. You're driving along in your car. You're at the gym. You're taking a walk. You're at the kitchen sink. Perhaps you're in the workplace. Perhaps you're out in the back of the paddock. For everybody here today, know that there is no ship that cannot be salvaged. No ship. And the Lord wants to restore, not just relationship, but He wants to restore an intimate relationship with you. Who's experienced a fantastic, amazing, intimate relationship with the Lord at some period in their life and you've never seemed to be able to get quite back to that place? And sometimes that can happen. It happens to us all. They're called dry periods in our life. But I tell you what, repentance is first stop. Amen? Repent. Acknowledge where you've gone wrong. Nothing wrong with that. It's, it's okay. But just acknowledge where you are. Acknowledge your sin. Confess your sin. And then begin to pray. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And renew a right, steadfast spirit within me that just loves you. Father, I open up my heart right now to do a glorious work. Right now, right now. Are you ready for God to do a work right now? Right now, I believe the Spirit of God is here to do a work that I certainly cannot do. But the Spirit of God can, in a moment of time, do what a million sermons cannot do. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, create in us, Lord God, a clean heart, a pure heart. Get rid of the uncleanness, Lord. We repent of it in Jesus' name. We walk away, Father God. We flee, Lord, from sin. We flee from the, from the things that we flirtatiously hang around in case they might happen. But the Lord says, flee from the, from the door of an immoral woman. Flee from sin. Don't even... Uh, make yourself accessible to it. Make it impossible for you even to position yourself like that. Remove yourself. The stuff you're coming up on TV that you're pondering on, just remove. Remove the TV if you have to. Unplug the thing. In Jesus' name, Lord, do a mighty work here. For those, Lord, who have addictions and habits and sin, Lord, gross sin, uncleanness, Father God, separate me, Lord God, right now from those things. And create in me a clean heart, Lord God, I pray. Do this, Lord God, and do it tonight. And do it now, Lord God. Faith is now. It's not something for the future that we want to deal with, but faith is now. And I pray, Lord, separate us, Lord God, from the things that grieve you so badly, so dearly. Because you want intimate relationship with us. And it seems like, Lord, that you want a more of an intimate relationship even more than we want with you. And so you make a way for us. You cross the heavens to make it possible. 
Father, do that work, Lord God, tonight. And to every believer, Lord, every person reaching out, Lord, on that podcast, Lord, today, I pray let that miracle be a present tense in Jesus' name. We're just going to sing, create in me a clean heart, O God. Then we're just going to come around and just going to pray briefly for somebody in the church tonight. Oh